Sunday morning and we are talking about a subject that we've been on for months. When I say Christmas, I don't mean the birthday of Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Christmas is found in the very definition of the word Christ Mass. It is Roman Catholicism. Everything in the Old Testament that is evil and wicked is about Roman Catholicism before it was called Roman Catholicism. I've made this statement many times. The reason the World Trade Center came down is because Israel celebrated Christmas under another name 4,000 years ago. They went after Baal and the grove. This is what was brought into the church and renamed the Christ Mass. Christ Mass, you look in any dictionary, Christ Mass, or the way it would spell it, Christus Masse, M-A-S-S-E, it means the Mass of Christ. The Mass, I've said this a thousand times, is eating human flesh. This has nothing to do with the birthday of Jesus. December the 25th was called the birthday in the ancient world, birthday of the unconquerable unconquerable sun. That's because the winter solstice comes. Now, what does this have to do with Israel? Because this is the paganism they were involved in over there in the Old Testament. The sun comes to its winter solstice on December the 21st. That's the longest nights of the year. This is because the earth is on its axis and it's turned leaning at 23. I believe it's 23 and one half degrees. And they're going around the sun and when it leans this way in the northern hemisphere, over here it's going to be summer, and over here it's going to be winter. Well, they believed as the earth was going around the sun and getting further away from the sun, they thought the sun was burning out or losing its power. So all of the pagans, what? All of the pagans believed that this was something they had to rectify. And every culture had their form of this. The Celts, which we always identify with the Druids, the Druids was their form of witchcraft. Uh, they, had their, they had their festival at the death of the crops. That would be at the at the end of the harvest, end of harvest, October thirty first. They brought that into the Catholic Church, October thirty first, and they brought in offerings for the dead because the crops are going to die until spring. And they call those gods of the underworld Hades.
Pluto had many different names in every culture for them. Well, in Rome, they had their festival to the sun because it was all a festival for sun worship. They had it a seven-day festival, December 24th, excuse me, December 17th through 24th, 17 through 24. And then they would throw the Yule log, Yule, which means child. Some people say it means wheel, that it was the wheel of the year. And because the longest nights were here, pagans were so ignorant, they didn't know this is what was going on here. So they said, we've got to give birthday to the sun and three days after the winter solstice, on December the 25th, they gave the birthday to Natalis, N-A-T-A-L-I-S, Solis Invicti. That's the Latin word that means Natalis. Our word nativity comes from that birth. Invicti means victorious, unconquerable, and solace is the word sun. It meant the birthday of the unconquerable sun. When Constantine started the Roman Catholic Church, there were certain there were certain monarchs of the Roman Empire that said, We will not serve this sun worship. And that was a couple of the of of the emperors of Rome, Gratian said, I will not serve. I won't have this in the church. And Gratian and one other one other monarch said, We won't have this. So what they did, they amalgamated the sun worship of Rome with the pagans that were trying to take over the world. Now, what's so bad about this is this is what Israel was involved in was sun and tree worship. The sun was represented by Baal upon the earth. When you read about Baal all through the Scripture, the Old Testament, Baal was the sun god. When you read about Baal was the same thing, same thing as Hercules, the same thing as Adonis. It depended on which culture you were in. If you were in Greece, it would be Hercules. If you were in Rome, they would call the child of the sun, they would call him Adonis. He had many names. All the males represented the fire upon the earth, and the females were the tree goddesses. Tree. And the tree was called the grove, and it, the word was Asherah, Asherah, and Asherah was the tree goddess. It means upright, means upright. Probably one of the favorite verses of most of us who don't believe in this is, don't believe in Christmas or Christ's Mass, is Jeremiah, the 10th chapter. Look at that real quick. We'll just kind of stick that in here 
Jeremiah the 10th chapter. Now, let me tell you what you need to do. My wife just went through having a having a pacemaker put in and she's been at the house not able to do much. So she said, I'm going to start reading these books in the Bible. And she started reading Isaiah. She read it slow. She told me, she said, I've been reading Isaiah. She said, I'm going to read Jeremiah. So she took several days and read Jeremiah. And she kept saying, these people just didn't believe God. The Jews didn't don't want to do what God said. I said, absolutely not. That's what I've been telling you in all these messages. So she's backed up and started reading the law. Been reading Deuteronomy. I don't know how far you are in Deuteronomy. You're in Deuteronomy 12. She said, I just can't get over Israel not listening to God. And they didn't. They went after this tree and sun god. This is the same thing as Christmas. And because they went after that for 500 years, if you're going to read about the history of Israel, history of Israel, you've got to read, after you've heard me teach all these lessons, you've got to read the books of the kings. This is while, where they were kingdom. I've tried to explain this over and over. Everything that's evil in the Bible is about Christmas or Christ's Mass. They just called it Baal and the Grove worship over here. Baal and Grove. And they didn't just worship Baal and the Grove. They worshipped all the sun gods. If you want to see who Israel worshipped, look at the first two verses of Ezra, the ninth chapter. Well, I didn't read Jeremiah yet. Read Jeremiah 10. Like Mary says, if this isn't the Christmas tree, I'll eat my hat. And I don't even have a hat, but I'll buy one and eat it. All right. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. Notice what he says. He doesn't say don't worship their gods. God knew Israel knew that he was the Lord God. He said, I don't want you to learn their ways or their customs. said the same thing in, in Deuteronomy 12 when he said, when you come into the land, don't ask the question, how did these people serve their gods? I don't even want you knowing how they did it. Not only does America know how they did it, they do it with great fervor. Then he says, Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. You mean all this ritual that you do at Christmas time is vain? Hebel. H-E-B-E-L. Worthless. Worthless. It's not worth anything. How can you keep talking about Christmas? I cannot talk about the Old Testament without talking about what led Israel away in their apostasy and why they were scattered all over the world for 2,600 years and existed under all these barbarian people. They were slaughtering and butchering Israel right and left until May 14th, 1948. 
That's when they became a nation for the first time in 2,600 years since they were carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. And what? who did Nebuchadnezzar carry away? Southern Judah. Southern Judah, thank you. That's right. Can you remember what chapters in the Bible there were where it carried away Judah? Second Second Corinthians, not Corinthians. Second Chronicles thirty six. Yeah, Second Chronicles thirty six. Jeremiah forty four, maybe no. Well, all through Jeremiah, when you start getting to Jeremiah, that's all they talk about. Huh? That's all they talk about. It's all they talk about. But when Nebuchadnezzar Jeremiah's commander-in-chief comes, uh, not Jeremiah's, Nebuchadnezzar's commander-in-chief comes in. You can start in about the 38th chapter. You can see Nebuchadnezzar come in and, and saying to Jeremiah, we've come in to carry Israel away captive, but you've been an honest and honorable man. See, most people don't know Nebuchadnezzar was doing the thing he was supposed to do. Israel did two things wrong. They did not obey God, disobeyed God. And their Savior, their leader, in a sense, the person that ruled the world was the king of Babylon at that point. And all you had to do was submit to the king of Babylon, pay him taxes. They call that tribute money. And he would protect you. Babylon, the king, was over here on the Euphrates River. Here's Israel. Israel refused to pay him, pay Nebuchadnezzar his due. And they said, we're going to run over here to Egypt. God said, don't you run to Egypt. Jeremiah, you tell Israel, if you run to Egypt, I'll have one of these Babylonian soldiers chase you down. They might not even know what they're doing, but I'll have them kill you. Go over here to Babylon for 70 years. After 70 years, I will deliver you. But the only reason he scattered them was because they were going after all these sun and tree gods. How did that get involved in Israel? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I started to tell you. Let me show you how. Well, let me finish reading this. For the custom of the people are vain. One cutteth the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen, with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go themselves. Don't be afraid of these gods. They're not really gods. And it goes on to sin here. They can't think or speak. And yet we play with the Christmas tree every year. Now, before Israel was became a kingdom under kings, Saul was the first king. That's in for that's in first Samuel. All the way through Second Chronicles, this is called the history of Israel. Before they were a kingdom, they were living under judges. And all these righteous judges like Othniel and, and uh, Ehud and Deborah and Samson and, and Jephthah and all the rest of these, 
They were under judges. Before that, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And then before that, and you start in the front of the Bible, you can read through this. Before that, they were 400 years in bondage. What amazes me, you ask the average Baptist or whoever goes to church, did you know Israel was in bondage? Well, yeah, they were in bondage for 400 years. Ask people if they know that Israel was in captivity. And their captivity lasted 2,600 years from 586 B.C. when they were southern Judah was carried away. That's the end of Israel's history. Northern Israel was called Israel. Northern Israel was also called Ephraim. Why Ephraim? He got the inheritance. He got the inheritance. What chapter? Dave's going to answer all of our questions. What is it, the 49th chapter of 48 Genesis? 48 chapter. 48 chapter. Genesis. 48 chapter, and that's when what happened? How did Ephraim get the blessing? Cross your hands. That's when Joseph brought his two sons to Jacob. Jacob had come over to Egypt to live the last of his days when Joseph was the prince of Egypt. And Joseph brought his two sons. This is in the 48th chapter of Genesis. This is very important because anytime you find Ephraim long after he's dead... It represents northern Israel. Why? Because in that Genesis 48, Jacob, who is the patriarch of Israel, is an old man. It's about time for him to die. In fact, the Bible says it came time that Israel must die in that 48th chapter. Israel was Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. What chapter of the Bible was his name changed to Israel? Genesis 32. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is our answer machine over here. <laughs> We've only been here 20 years. So. Yeah. Genesis, the 32nd chapter. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Well, he's the patriarch. So when Joseph brings his two sons to him to be blessed, always the right hand in that it gave the blessing to the oldest who was going to be the patriarch of the family. Well, Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, there's another Manasseh later on. That's an evil king, but don't confuse them. Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the oldest. And Joseph being, he wasn't raised in Israel. He was sold into Egypt when he was 17. And when Jacob, Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob. Jacob's an old man. He's sitting over here. And he says, oh, I thought not to see thee again, Joseph. It's been a long time. You're a grown man. You're the head of Egypt now. And he said, are these your sons? And Joseph said, yes. This is my eldest, Manasseh. This is my second-born, Ephraim. And he said, bring them to me that I may bless them. Well, Jacob puts his left hand upon Manasseh's head. 
guides him to Jacob's right hand. He wants to make sure that the firstborn gets the blessing. And this is my second born Ephraim. And as soon as Joseph got close enough to Jacob, this is what Jacob did. He said, the blessing goes to the second born. And Jacob went, not so my Joseph said, not so, my father. Manasseh is my son, even my firstborn. And you cannot withdraw the blessing once it's given. That's why the 48th chapter of Genesis is so important. Because when you get on through the Bible, after their nation, under kings, and you find all these prophets like Hosea is preaching against, he's preaching against He's preaching against Ephraim all through his. Why would he preach against Ephraim? Ephraim is the ten northern tribes. Why? Well, because. Because the nation was split into two nations, southern Judah which was made up of Ju the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was the 12th son. I can't even spell talking. J-A-M-I-N. Benjamin was the 12th son of Jacob. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. But Ephraim was the second-born son of Joseph, the eleventh son of Jacob. It was actually Joseph who Jacob loved more than anyone who got the inheritance through his second-born son, Ephraim. So any time after Ephraim and Joseph are long dead, when you see Joseph mentioned as a nation, it's talking about the ten northern tribes. When you see Ephraim mentioned as a nation, it's talking about the ten northern tribes. What this means is Ephraim or Joseph received the inheritance. One son would receive the inheritance. One. He had to take care of the rest. So Ephraim has the inheritance. During the days of Jesus, only southern Judah was back from the captivity. The four, the four decrees were only given to southern Judah. That's why you'll hear people refer to the ten lost tribes. That's Ephraim. They weren't given these four decrees. I can't go through the decrees right now. But when they were given these decrees, it was given to Judah. During the days of Jesus, only Judah Southern Judah was back from the captivity. That's why the Pharisees hated northern Israel. They were messed up. But so were the Pharisees. Northern Israel, when the... There was one other... Deep, there was another deportation, actually three sets of, of one deportation. And northern Israel was carried away into captivity. When? 
Does anybody remember what year they were carried away? 722. Thank you, Dolores. <laughs> 722 B.C. And who carried them into captivity? Huh? Who? Assyria. Can, can anybody tell me what chapter of the Bible that's in? Where Assyria carried them away. It's important that you learn these dates. I read it, but I don't remember. <laughs> that's in Second Second Kings, the seventeenth chapter. The whole thing will tell you about how that northern Israel was carried away by the Assyrians. That's when the Assyrian kings, or particularly the king Sennacherib, F C H. E-N-A-C-C-R-I-B. I think that's it. Maybe one C. Sennacherib was the king. That was... Lost? What? Are they still lost? Are they lost? Are they still lost? No. Well, you've got one nation over here, and that takes you to Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, and Isaiah, the 11th chapter, which I don't have time to go through that right now. They've come back into one nation right now, and nobody knows, nobody knows what tribe anybody belongs to. If anybody tells you they belong to a certain tribe, they don't know that. Nobody has kept up with their tribes through these years. They've kept up with their culture and their customs. Why do they call them lost? Huh? Why do they call them lost? Because they were lost until they all come back. Because they never came back. Only southern, during the days of Jesus, only southern Judah was back. They're the only ones that received those decrees to come back. Northern Israel had been carried away by Syria. And when Assyria carried them away, in that 17th chapter of Second Kings, when Assyria carried them away, they didn't just carry them away, they moved in Assyria moved in a lot of their sun gods, mixed it with Jehovah worship, mixed it with Jehovah worship, and so they had a sun Jehovah worship in northern Israel. That's why Jesus talked to this woman in John 4 at the well of Samaria in northern Israel, and He's the one that he said, I'll give, she's the one he said, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. And she said, how can you give me living water? You don't even have anything to draw with. They called living water, moving water. They knew it was pure. They called it anything that moved. If it was in a mountain, in mountain stream, they'd call that living water. They knew those great rivers wander the depths of the earth. They called that living water. And Jesus said, I'll give you living water. You'll never thirst with this living water. But the Bible says he was talking to her of the Spirit. And he looked at her and he said, you got this mixture of Assyrian and Jewish religion. You worship, you know not what. You don't even know who you're worshiping. And she was converted. Now, northern Israel was carried away. Southern Judah is carried away. They were carried away in 722 B.C. But southern Judah is still... The Pharisees hated northern Israel so bad 
they said we won't even step foot in there if they're going to northern if they're going up here to an evil place like Tyre which is a sun worship capital in Sidon they would walk around Israel to go up there they hated Israel worse than anything that's why they would call Jesus they would call him a Samaritan they hated Samaria. Samaria was considered the filth of the earth. Just absolute filth. So Nazareth was up here in the land of Zebulun, and the Pharisees wouldn't step foot in this up here. Said, no way we're going to do that. Well, Israel... I was going to tell you something. I can't remember it all. All right. They got involved in this Baal and Grove. Look here in Ezra. Let me show you some of the other gods they got involved in. They're all sun and tree gods. Look in Ezra. The ninth chapter. Ezra. This is around approximately 457 B.C. when Ezra writes these words. Ezra. This was just about the time of the third decree of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And Ezra is coming back over to Israel to bring supplies for the temple that they've been building. Rebuilding because Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed it. And look over here in Ezra. These are some of the gods that Israel was going after. These are the same thing as Christmas. Look here. Ezra. The ninth chapter. Ezra is just coming back. By the way, Ezra is the man responsible for putting the Old Testament books together. Ezra was a descendant of Aaron, high priest. Ezra was a high priest. So it'd be only normal that he's the guy that would put these things together. So the Old Testament is ascribed to Ezra. Well, he comes back. They've had two decrees already given. I'm not going to go into them. I'll probably do that tonight in our prophecy series. And Ezra comes back. And Israel was scattered. Now notice, this is important to understand. Israel was scattered because they had been involved in Baal and Grove worship. Southern Judah was scattered in 586 B.C. Ezra, this is about 457. This is considerably later. This is 140 years later that Ezra's coming back with supplies during this third decree. Here's what he finds Israel doing. He's been over here in Babylon. He comes over here and guess what he finds? They're doing the same thing all over again. You want to say, what is wrong with you, Israel? I want to look back at America and say, what is wrong with you, America? <laughs> now look here. And when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the heads of Israel come to Ezra and they're talking to him. They're saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites 
have not separated themselves from the people of the lands that are pagans. Doing according to the abominations. Israel is going back to their same old tricks. Even of the Canaanites, they're worshiping the gods of the Canaanites. Canaan was a term for all the evil people that were in the land. The land, when the land was given to Abraham in the Genesis, the 17th chapter, when it was given to Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then Joseph ends up in bondage. And then after 400 years, they go back to the land and they take over the land that God gave to Abraham. We're talking about they've been scattered away all kinds of pagans have wandered into the land and they're living all over Israel. And here, Ezra comes back over here and he finds Israel worshiping the same gods that they were carried away for. It's like, man, Israel, are you crazy? And then he says... They went after the gods of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the gods of the Egyptians. You don't have any gods in Egypt. They had thousands. They had Osiris and Isis and Amun-Ra, and the list goes on. And they were going after the Egyptian gods. Is there any reason to understand why God scattered them? The Moabites... Moab and the Ammonites, the Amorites. Amorites stood for everybody. Sometimes they'd put that in there so that it would say, all the pagans. Man. For they are taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons. God warned Israel, when you come into the land, there in the seventh chapter of Deuteronomy, don't you intermarry your daughters to them. Don't take their daughters for your sons. The men would go out in the field and work all day long. The women would stay home and take care of the children. If you married one of those pagan women, which Israel did, and you married one of them, they would stay home and teach the children paganism. And they couldn't even understand the truth. That's the same thing. Let's read the rest of this. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed of God has mangled themselves with the people of those lands. That's what the so-called, quote, Christians in America is doing. We want to partake in this paganism called Christmas. We'll call it religion. It's not. We'll call it godly. Well, you can take a pig and decorate it up and bathe it and put perfume on, put a ribbon around its neck, and if you lay it outside, it'll go to the first mud hole it sees it's a pig. Won't it? Well, that's a pig sty. That's what Christ's Mass is. It has nothing to do with the Lord. The, la the people of the land, J, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. The priest, the kings of Israel have been chief in this. They've led the people into it. And when I heard this thing, 
Ezra did the same thing that Daniel did in Daniel 9. He wept and said, what have we done? He included himself with it. I rent my garment, my mantle, and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard and sat down astonished. How could you do this, Israel? I'll show you why, did, why they did it. Go to verse 12. Same reason America does it. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons. Don't mix. This is the mixed religion I preached on last week, a week before. That's the sons of God marrying the daughters of men. God's children intermarrying with the world. When you marry your life with the world, here's why you do it. Watch what it says. Nor seek their peace or their wealth forever. The reason people try to go along with the Christ mass system, we want to get along with them, get their peace. And in business, we got to get along with these people. So we don't want to make anybody mad. We'll go ahead and have our private beliefs at home. And we won't tell people what we really believe. When you look at the 10th chapter, I won't go through the whole thing. The Lord tells Israel, get rid of your strange wives. Kick them out unless they want to repent and believe Jehovah God. Throw them out. And throw out those children if they don't want to cooperate either. Well, that's pretty hard, isn't it? What happens when you don't separate from the world. Look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a very close friend of Ezra. Ezra's prophesying around 457 B.C. Nehemiah's prophesying. Nehemiah is prophesying around 445-44. This is just 12 years later. They were close to each other. They knew one another. When you read Nehemiah, the 8th chapter, it'll talk about Ezra reading the Word of God in front of the people. Now, look over at Nehemiah, the 13th chapter. Here's what happens with Israel. God scattered them, and they still didn't behave. God brings His judgments. Everybody here knows the judgments of God. The sword... The famine, the pestilence, he would bring that over and over again. No rain, no rain, all kinds of pestilence. All these locusts come in and eat up your crops. The people would be terrified when that happened. But they wouldn't obey. The sword was war against Israel. God says, I'll bring that against you. Pestilence, disease of all kinds. Finally, he said, I will bring the beast in and carry you away. The beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, Roman Empire. Each one of those would fall to the other as they rose in the world. And Rome was ruling during the days of Jesus. People say, well, uh, there was no judgment of God in the first century. What do you think Rome was? It was the sword of God upon the head of Israel. Now look here in the 13th chapter. Here's what happens when you mix with the world. If you 
Not mixing with the world is one of the hardest things to learn. They finish building the city. Nehemiah has given. The city was utterly destroyed and devastated in 586. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, he destroyed the city of Israel, burned it to the ground, tore the temple down. The stones were gigantic, 40 tons, 50 tons. He had men come in with those ropes like you'll see in a movie, pull the temple down, lay it to the ground. And Nehemiah got the word that the gates of the city. It's amazing. He didn't get the word until around 444 B.C. That's when Nehemiah gets the word that Israel has, that Jerusalem has been burnt to the ground. The walls are burnt. Everything is destroyed. And we're talking about 586 is when they were carried away, when all of the things were destroyed. 444 is when he hears about it over here in Babylon. And he is a servant to the king Artaxerxes. At this point, Artaxerxes is the, before Artaxerxes was Darius, and I go into Darius, and before him was Cyrus. There were some other two-bit kings they weren't worth mentioning, like Cambyses, <laughs> the son of Cyrus, was kind of worthless. Artaxerxes gives the decree to go back and rebuild the city. He gives, that's in Nehemiah, the second chapter. All of this is happening to Israel because they went after sun and tree worship. How am I going to teach that without teaching Christmas? Sun and tree worship, same thing. Brought into the Roman Catholic Church when Gratian and Numa, I forgot Numa's name, Numa, Gratian. These two would not accept, these were two emperors, wouldn't accept the fire and tree worship. So what they did, they outlawed this old system and brought it into the Roman Catholic Church. They would, they actually renamed the statues in the niches. A niche, every Catholic knows what a niche is. A niche is a little grotto of sorts. And you, it, it, it's kind of round. They'll have a little statue in there. And they renamed Venus or Aphrodite. They named her Mary. The Mary of Roman Catholicism is actually these tree goddesses or moon goddesses. Another name for the female deities was the moon. And she was, the moon was called Queen of Heaven because it gave light at night. You find that in the first chapter of Genesis. When Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. What we are wrestling with, that points right at Christmas in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We're wrestling against the rulers of the darkness, who were the rulers of the darkness? Who ruled the darkness? The moon. 
we're wrestling against moon worshipers and all of those Muslims over there worship the Lord Moon in the form of a crescent moon. You find that on the Turkish flags. You find it on so many of those high. The Shriners have it on theirs. It's they have they worship the Shriners worship Allah, don't they? Allah, Allah was a tree god in the ancient world. I, I, you know, I just want to bang my head on something when I see what Israel did. But America's doing the same thing. I worship the Lord Moon, and when you find this tree god in the Bible. In the 44th chapter of Isaiah, the Bible says that they take a tree, they take an oak. The word oak is the word A-L-L-O-N. We get the word A-L-A-H from that. Israel worshipped Allah under the name Alon. What they did. And the Bible says they cook with it, with this wood from this alon tree. They cook with it. They make food with it. And the Bible says in that 44th chapter, they make a god out of it. It's a tree god. The scripture tells us in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, they chose a tree that would not rot. What's that? Evergreen. Evergreen. That's what Israel shows. Israel was involved. Every bit of their history is about them involved in sun and tree worship. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. That's what the Christ Mass is. You know how much I got all these notes up here. I don't even have time to go through them all. When Constantine brought all this into the church, he brought it in, I've told you a thousand times, he brought it into the church. The only place that the Roman Empire was ruling was on the borders of the Mediterranean Sea. That's the only place that actually the Grecian Empire was ruling under Alexander the Great. That's the only place the Roman Empire ruled. That is the only place that the Babylonian Empire ruled over here. That's the only place that the Persian Empire ruled, was off the Mediterranean Sea. They weren't ruling all of these hordes up here, these Ostrogoths and Visigoths and and uh, and uh, Burgundians. I really want to get into some of these. I got to read about the Burgundians last night. The Visigoths, these were barbaric people. Constantine felt like, and they had been wrestling with this for several hundred years, that they were going to lose the empire to these heathens. You can see that very thing happening in the movie Gladiator. At the beginning of the Gladiator, Maximus, you remember him? He's the hero. He is leading the Roman armies, and it says against these Germanic tribes, the Huns, and they're all sitting around the campfire and got a, a leg of something in their mouth going, Rah! The, the Germanic tribes, you remember that? He's fighting these people. That's what Maximus is fighting. And that's when 
Marcus Aurelius, which was a real emperor, was the emperor of Rome. So he thought they're going to come down. He was really afraid of the Visigoths. The Visigoths, here's some Visigoths coming in here. Here's Visigoths coming in here. The Visigoths were heathens. Out and out. Didn't care what they did. They'd kill. They rode on horseback. They'd settle down sometimes and plant for a while. And then Rome started, when they were driven across, the Visigoths were driven across the Danube River. Here's the Danube. Goes up here into Germany area. And the Danube empties into the Black Sea. The Ostrogoths were driven across this by the Huns up here. Huns drove them across that, threw them into Roman territory. Where do you get that, Jim? Wonderful book, The Myth of Mary. He'll tell you all about it. This is by Caesar Vidal. I've tried looking him up on the Internet. He is a professor, but he preaches in Spanish. And I can't understand him when he's teaching. Uh, the guy's a history freak. Man, just really lays his stuff down. He says that when Constantine pulled all of these... Here's the point. All these Huns and Goths and Visigoths and Saxons and Vandals and and the list goes on and on. They were pagans trying to take over down here. Constantine said, well, and he had two problems. All of these hordes trying to take over Rome. And that's when Rome was under fire. They had the, the uh, pagan Roman Empire, and it was all fire and tree worship. The name of the high priest of the Roman Empire was Pontifex Maximus. Where do we get that? That's the title of the Pope in Roman Catholicism. They took the title of the old fire high priest, Pontifex Maximus. It means supreme high priest. That was a title for The Pope took that when these Grace and Enuma outlawed it, when they brought that all into the Roman Catholic Church. What Israel went after over here is the same thing that Constantine brought in the church. How do you know that, Jim? It's real simple. Revelation 17 and 5 says, Babylon. is the mother, the mother, the one who gave birth to and nurtured all harlotry. Now, you're not going to know what that means. It doesn't mean the mother of all prostitutes. It means the mother of all spiritual prostitutes. Harlotry means idolatry. And it used to puzzle me how can we find Babylon in the world today? You go back to where she started. She started in Genesis, the 11th chapter. Genesis 11. This is after the flood. They come out of the ark in the ninth chapter of Genesis. The 10th chapter is the table of nations. Table of nations. 
And the tenth chapter is where the sons of Noah, they come out of the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and it'll tell you where they go to and settle. The descendants of Shem, who was the blessed of God, we get the word Semitic from the word Shem, which is Jewish people. Shem came out of the ark. The ark landed on the mountains of Ararat. A-R-R-A-T. I can't hear you. There's a map on the screen. What? There's a map on the screen. There's a map on the screen. Oh, right, right. Okay. We'll find it. There it is. Yeah, okay. The Rarat is in this area up here. It's in western Turkey. So, Shem's descendants ended up down here in what we would call Iraq or Babel. Or Babylon was built down here. Iraq is Babylon. Iran is Persia. Persia was over here and what we would call Iran. This is all in our news today. So, the descendants of Shem, the blessed of God, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, second born just like Ephraim was second born. How do you know they were second born? The Bible says so. The Bible says Ham was Noah's youngest and Japheth the eldest, speaks of Japheth the eldest. So that makes Shem second born. He gets the blessing of God. They go down here and settle at, down here in Babylon. And then Ham, his descendants, go down here and settle in Egypt and put in Mizraim in here. You'll find these names in the 10th chapter of Genesis right here. And then Japheth, the Caucasian people, settled up here between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and that is what we call the Assyrians or the Scythians. Caucasians are the most barbaric people that ever existed on the face of the earth. That's my ancestors. They were butchers. When they came in here, down here, they would slaughter Israel, slaughter everybody. They would cut men's heads off by the hundreds of thousands, stack them in the front of their cities. They were heartless. Not heartless, but heartless. <laughs> they were hard-nosed people. So when Joseph, Joseph, I'll get around a minute, when Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and Nineveh and preach against Nineveh, the reason that was the capital city for these barbaric Caucasians, Japheth's descendants. And when they, when Jonah was told to go in there and said, if you don't repent in 40 days, God's going to destroy you. Well, they repented temporarily. And the reason that Jonah probably got angry with God and sat down under a a tree, a vine that grew up and God killed it so it could sit in the sun because Jonah was angry at God because he didn't kill all these Assyrians but they repented temporarily. And they, he couldn't get over that. He probably had seen them butcher and slaughter thousands of his own people. I just don't see why you don't kill them, God. The revenge doesn't belong to us, does it? So, 
All these people of Japheth came up here. The descendants of Ham are down here. And Shem's descendants come down here into Iraq or Iraq. Iraq comes from the word Yerek. Y-E-A-R-E-C-H. Which is one of the words for moon. We have another word for moon in the Bible. L-E-B-A-N-A-H. Which means white. I believe I've got this on theory myself. Me and Mary were riding along the other day and she looked at my hands. She said, your hands are pink. That's not white. I believe the reason the Caucasians were called white people was because they worshipped the white of the moon. That's what they worshipped, went after. I've wondered that for a long time. Now, so, northern Israel is carried away by the Assyrians. Southern Judah is carried away by the... And all because... All because Israel went after these gods. God said, I brought you out of Egypt. Don't go after any other gods. And when you read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you're going to see Israel going after this sun and tree worship, which was brought on the church and renamed the Christ Mass. Let me read something to you here. This is out of the myth, myth of Mary. When the Catholic Church was organized, it was organized as a military church. The Pope had armies back 15, 1800 years ago that would go out to conquer. Haven't any of you ever seen any movies about the Pope's army and he would have his army deployed and they would go out and fight with swords and shields? He had an army. Well, Constantine concluded that the cement he needed to build his empire was not so much the solar religion as it was Christianity. Nonetheless, it could not be just any Christianity, but a Christianity that would lend itself to political purposes. He needed a Christianity that contained a hierarchical, monolithic structure. A hierarch is a presiding, one who presides over sacred rites. That's what the Pope was for. That attitude established the consequential precedent of a political power intervening in religious matters. The fruit of this principle would later be the inquisitional fires. Inquisition. You had many forms of the inquisition. This is where the Roman Catholic Church would go out and slaughter the Protestants that would would not partake of the sacrament of the Mass. The best book you can get on that is Fox's Book of Martyrs. He said he had to have a government, a church that was military. That's what Constantine said, and that's what he organized. I've got a couple other things here. The idea began to gain ground that the only way to save the empire was through military dictatorship, and that was through the inquisitional fires. I went online, did a search for inquisitions. You'd be surprised at what you can find online just about the inquisition. The inquisition is about 
you'll find the practicality of how they applied it in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Magnificent book. Uh, Holly, Ben's wife, said, I can't read that. It's bloody. It's gory. Oh, yes, it is. Let me read to you. You got the medieval inquisition. Introduction of Protestant Reformation. They slaughtered these people. The Inquisition, this is out of just the Inquisition. They had the Roman Inquisition. They had the Portuguese Inquisition. This lasted, these Inquisitions. An Inquisitor is what? One who asks you questions. Except they would go into a village. They would ask these people uh, will you renounce your Christianity? Here's the Spanish Inquisition. Will you renounce your Christianity and partake of the sacrament of the Mass? One 19-year-old boy said, I will never do that. And they burned him at the stake. They took Polycarp, who followed, who followed uh, Irenaeus. Well, he was one of the first pastors of the church at Smyrna. They took Polycarp to the stake to burn him at the stake. And he, he reached out and grabbed the, the stake where they were going to burn him, kissed the stake and said, Now I will drink the cup of my Lord. You think you're having a hard time here? You're not having a hard time in America. The Roman Catholic Church is still a military system. In foreign lands, in America, they made friends with everybody. I'll read you something out of this here. This is All Roads Lead to Rome. This will tell you about the pagan origins of everything that's Roman Catholic and how they have charmed their way into this nation like a snake that's coming in. Do I trust Catholicism? No. Do I believe there are some decent, quiet people that try to be Christians in Roman Catholicism? Yeah, I believe there's people, but they got to get out of that system. There's nothing Christian about it. When Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, that was an idiom. That didn't mean to eat literal flesh and drink literal blood. It meant to partake in a slaughter. And he said, my my Flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. When you define the word indeed, it'll tell you what eat flesh and drink blood means. It means to eat and drink of truth. That word indeed, alathes, means of truth. When you, you partake in a slaughter when you start telling people that Christmas is pagan, it's Roman Catholicism. And Roman Catholicism is a military dictatorial system dictates to the world by the Pope. <laughs> It was Pope Leo X, I believe. The Pope had such power in England when Pope Leo was in that he told the, the king of England, crossed him. He said, I'll have none of these people bind you. And they stopped bowing to the king in England. He had that kind of power. Listen to this. The Roman church... Christmas is about the Roman church. It's about the fire worship of the angel. Well, you can't even preach the Bible and preach what's evil about it without going into it. The Roman church is frequently described in Protestant literature as a lamb in adversity, a fox in equality, and a tiger in ascendancy. It will destroy you. 
Prime Minister W.E. Gladstone had sounded a strong warning to posterity about the designs of this great institution in 1874 and just four years after Rome had lost her territorial possessions he wrote individual servitude however abject will not satisfy the Latin church just submitting yourself to them the state must also be a slave to Romanism Gladstone leader of the British Empire at the height of its global power and influence was well placed to recognize the papal ambitions. Roman Catholicism is not what Americans think it is. It is a military system. When you go into foreign countries, they will kill you if you cross them. Did you know that? It's not what it is here in this nation. Let me give you one other thing. This is a book you can order. Well, I set something on it. I've got one called Smoke Screens. This is Smoke Screens here. This has got Billy Graham in it. He was making friends, friends with the Pope. Oakland Bishop Floyd began chats with Billy Graham. They discussed Jesuits' book. The Jesuits were the enforcers of the Inquisition, where they'd go and slaughter people peel their fingers, peel the skin off of them, do the most atrocities that you can imagine. That was the Roman church. Jesuits' book, Lauding Graham's Ministry. There's a couple of things about Billy Graham. The Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. All the world spoke well of Billy Graham, didn't they? Everybody liked him. He was on the top popularity list for his entire life from 1948 till he died. Till he died. This one bishop of the Roman Catholic Church, Culler Colbert E. Allen, one of the Roman Catholic bishops, said, I have followed Billy Graham's career, and I must emphasize that he has been more Catholic than otherwise. The last thing in here that's spoken in this letter, Billy Graham is preaching a Moral and evangelical theology most acceptable to Roman Catholics. He's got him receiving a degree from Belmont, not the Belmont out here, Belmont University over in North Carolina, which is a Roman Catholic university. And Billy Graham said, St. Francis of Assisi blessed and baptized animals and gave them Christian names. And they said St. Francis was so holy, he walked around about two feet above the ground. Do you believe that? No. Don't believe it at all. Billy Graham appeared on the Phil Donahue show October 11, 1979, discussing Pope John Paul II's visit to United States of America. Billy Graham said, I think the American people are looking for a leader, a moral and a spiritual leader that believes something, and he, the Pope, does. No, he doesn't. He asked the people to come to Christ, to give their life to Christ, and said, thank God, I've got someone to quote now with real authority, speaking of the Pope. You just didn't know Billy Graham. He was a heathen. Boy, people attack me for that. You people need to research Billy Graham. He even told 
Diane Sawyer, I saw him in an interview. She said, what do you want God to say to you when you go before the judgment? He said, I want him to say, well done and good faithful servant, but I don't know that he's going to do that. That's what he said. I heard him. There was an inquisition. They attacked the church. This is the same thing that... Let me read something to you about the Inquisition. Are, are any of y'all familiar how military the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church is? Now, the, our missionaries that have been down there, they know. Ask them. They'll kill you down in Ecuador, won't they? They'll stop you from doing what you want to do. And you don't cross them. They have all kinds of pagan... Rituals. They march. They they participate, and what is that called? The March of the Dead. They put on these skeletons and march through the march through the streets. They're very dangerous people. The medieval Inquisition was a series of inquisitions. Catholic church bodies charged with suppressing heresy in this papal Inquisition. The Cathars. Y'all heard me talk about them. The Cathars were first noted in 1140s in southern France. We've talked about them, haven't we? Cathars. These are people that called themselves Christians in Europe. And then when they came to America, they were killed by... Now, they'll say in these articles, well, we only killed 150,000 people. And the authorities, the people who really have kept some kind of a record, say it was around 60 million people that the Catholic Church slaughtered during this Inquisition. It was some form of the Inquisition, either the Spanish, the medieval, the Roman Catholic. It was one of these Inquisitions. And they would go in. I've read to you out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Let me read to you about the Inquisition. They were very... This is what America's putting its approval on when they approve of Christmas, Easter, Mardi Gras, and Christmas are the same thing in different cultures in the ancient world. How many times do I need to explain that? I have been inquisitive enough to find out for myself what this is about. Christmas is the most heathen thing that's ever existed. Yet it's got another name. They painted it pretty and put powder and paint on it and made it look okay. It's not okay. The customs are vain. They'll lead you astray. What's wrong with Christmas? Gosh, I could stand up here all day long and tell you. More booze sold that time of the year. More drunken, more drunken drivers killed, killing people. People fighting over who bought who, what, and who spent what. And people, it devastates the economy of people. Did you know that Christmas, you can go on and look this up. You look up about the pagan origins of Christmas. They'll tell you that the big companies, uh, they do all their business the last eight years, eight months of the year. Not eight months, the last four months of the year. And that come January and February, it causes monopolies to come about. That's where big companies take over the little ones because most people, when they go broke, they go broke in January, February, and March. 
It puts the little man out of business, puts it in the hands of the power of brokers. The Cathars. And when you look this up, it'll tell you all about the Cathars, the Waldenses. Waldenses. Well, I spelled that wrong. How much time do I have, Mike? 21. The Albigens, A-L-B-I-G-E-N-S-E-S. These were families and organizations of families, and they were slaughtered and butchered during this Inquisition. They would come in to a village. They would have an inspecting general. He would be some head of the Catholic Church in certain respects there, and they'd come in, and they'd torture him, saying, are you going to recant your Protestantism, and you're going to partake of the sacrament of the Mass? They'd say no, and they would do They'll describe this in Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's pretty hard to read because they were very, very... They took one man, put him out in the middle of a pig pen, cut his stomach open, poured grain into it, and turned the hogs in on him. Let them feast till they were full, and the men screaming bloody murder, saying, "Will you not recant your Protestantism?" The Cathars were first noted in the 1140s in southern France, and the Waldensians around 1170 in northern Italy. Before this point, individual heretics such as Peter Bruis had often challenged the church. However, the Cathars were the mass organization in the second millennium that posed serious threat to the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, and they said, we'll stop that. The article covers only these early inquisitions, not the Roman Inquisition of the 16th century onward, and or the somewhat different phenomenon of the Spanish Inquisition of the late 15th century, which was under the control of Spanish monarchy using local clergy. The Portuguese Inquisition of the 16th century and various colonial branches followed the same pattern. French historian, I'm just going to read a little bit of this, Jean-Baptiste Gerard defined medieval Inquisition as a system of repressing means, to put it mildly. Bishop Lincoln of Lincoln, Bishop of Lincoln, Robert Grosstest, defined heresy as an opinion chosen by human perception, created by human reasoning. If you reason something out according to the Word of God, they said you were a heretic. Founded on Scripture contrary to the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Grosstest excluded excluded Jews, Muslims, and other non-Christians from the definition of a heretic. It was okay if you just want to be a Jew. Anything that opposed Roman Catholicism. The many different types of inquisitions, depending on the loc location and methods, historians have generally classified them, Episcopal Inquisition, the Papal Inquisition, and so forth. An individual would make an accusation against someone to court. However, if the suspect was judged innocent, the accusers faced legal penalties for bringing false charges, so you could die for that. The first medieval inquisition, the, the Episcopal Inquisition, 
was established in the year 1184 by a papal bull. It means bulletin since they didn't have printing presses. It was a bulletin they'd post out in public. Papal bull of Pope Lucius III entitled Ad Abolatdam for the purpose of doing away with. He's talking about doing away with the believers. And it goes, I've got pages here. I can't read this all. Inquisition's main focus was to eradicate new sects. Thus, its range of, a of action was predominantly in Italy and France, where Cathars and Waldensinians, the two main heretic movements of the period, were. And they went in, and they butchered, and they slaughtered. Cathars preached poverty, chastity, modesty, and all those values which, in their view, help people to detach themselves from materialism. The Cathars presented a problem to feudal government by their attitude towards oaths, which they declared under no circumstances allowable. And the, them and the Waldenses and all of these people, as they were slaughtered and butchered by the Roman Catholic Church, they came to this place they heard of called America. And when they came here, they outlawed, they outlawed Roman Catholicism, Christmas, and anything that had to do with the Catholics, Easter or Halloween or Mardi Gras. They didn't have any of that here when they first come here. And they said, we will purify this land of all papal, papal means Roman Catholic, papal influences, and we will call ourselves Puritans. Puritans. Now, all Puritans weren't alike, but some of them were really right down the line with what we preach. They kill these people. You can't, I can't tell you all this information that I've got. I just can't take you to it. I do want to go back and show you where this came into Israel. Whenever the Bible condemns Ephraim, I was going to tell you this earlier. Ephraim is the same thing as northern northern Israel. Now I'll get it right in a minute. Northern Israel. And to make this easier. On this map right here, this is northern Israel right here. This, the United Kingdom is before God split it under Solomon. There's two places you need to be aware that sun and tree worship came into Israel. The first came with Solomon. But he didn't, he didn't do something that Ahab did. Solomon in the 11th chapter of 1st Kings 1st Kings 11 now Israel was involved in Baal in the Grove before this you find Baal in the Grove mentioned all through the book of Judges because Israel kept going after Baal in the Grove Baal do I have any time Mike I'm not going to have time to read all this. I was going to read to you about Baal. 
if I can find it. I got so many papers up here. All right. I'll maybe have to wait till next street to read that to you. I got so many things where I want to go. Let me just go ahead and go through this. Solomon allowed his wives, 700 of them, 300 concubines. To keep their sun and tree gods. They were called Shemash. You can find this in the 11th chapter of 1 Kings. Shemash, Molech. And it named an Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth was a common term. Was a common term for all the female deities including Baal and the Grove and Venus and all the rest of them. Ashtaroth, spelled with an O, is singular. Spelled with an E, is plural. He allowed them to keep all... The, he married strange women. Strange doesn't mean weird. It means foreign. Foreign women... And that's when God split the kingdom in two because he did that. Well, Ahab brought in sun and tree worship in the 16th chapter of 1 Kings. Just a few chapters later, 1 Kings 16, he brought in Baal and grove worship and made that the national god and goddess of northern Israel. This is why when you get to Hosea, Hosea preaches, just preaches to Ephraim and condemns Ephraim. Well, who, what does Ephraim have to do with Ahab? Ahab was the king of Ephraim. He was the king of northern Israel. Here he is right here. Here's Ephraim is this much here. And this is Judah over here. But it was through Ahab. Ahab right here. He runs across this hot looking woman. Just north of Israel. And he had a palace. He had a palace in northern Israel. At Jezreel. right across the border of the border of Israel and Tyre. In Tyre and Sidon were one, they would call them one system. They propagated the Babylonian sun and tree worship that started in Babylon. They propagated it up here. And one night somehow... Ahab, king of northern Israel, to say northern Israel is to say Joseph or Ephraim. Same thing. Northern Israel, Joseph or Ephraim. So God condemns Ephraim all through the book of Hosea. He goes, he just hammers Ephraim. Because Ephraim, the second born son of Joseph, 
ruled the ten northern tribes, and Ahab is, a, is the king at this point. Ahab is the king of northern Israel. So when the Bible is condemning, and he runs across this Jezebel up here, her father's Athbaal, notice Notice Baal in their name. With Baal. He is with Baal. He was the head of the fire worship up here. And if you read about Phoenicia, that is the same thing as this nation right above Israel, which they call Phoenicia in the ancient world, Tyre and Sidon, or today we call it Lebanon. Lebanon is the word moon. White. Lordy mercy. It's like I've been telling Mary. You've got to, you've listened to my messages. Why don't you just start reading Judges, Kings, Chronicles. Just sit at home and read it. You'd be surprised if you listen to me very long how you'll understand it. And you'll say, I never understood this before. If you listen to me long enough, you will understand it. Because I preach on it all the time. I was going to show you in the book of Nehemiah what happens when you mix with the world. I just am skipping around. I don't mean to, but I can't keep from it. Go to Nehemiah, the 13th chapter. This is where Nehemiah, they have finished building the temple. It's around 432 B.C. Nehemiah was given the commission around 444 by Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, to come over here and rebuild the city. That's given in, in Nehemiah, the second chapter. It's the letters that was given to Nehemiah. Go over here and rebuild the city. Well, he comes over here. They finished the city around 432. The reason God leveled the city was because they were going after this thing called Christ's Mass or Bell in the Grove or whatever you want to call it. That's the reason he scattered them. And look at what they're doing as soon as they finish the city. Watch what they're doing. Nehemiah's going, what? What are you doing, Israel? It makes you want to jump through a hoop and say, how can people do this? How can America do what it's doing? I'm not talking about just Christmas. I'm talking about just wallowing in sin. So Nehemiah, he's talking about Israel. In those days, verse 15, Judah, some treading wine presses on the Sabbath day. They got scattered for that. And bringing in sheaves and lading asses and wine and grapes and figs on the Sabbath. They're not supposed to be doing that. Yeah, but you can't read that way if you just read it. In those days saw Judah come treading wine, pressing on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses. What's wrong with that? They're doing it on the Sabbath. Every reason that God scattered them. Here they are. They finally got these decrees to be able to build the city. They're doing that. And they're just ignoring what God told them. All manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And, and I testified against them. I testified against the Jews for doing this. And the day wherein they sold victuals, food, they're selling on the Sabbath. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein. What are they doing there? These are heathens. 
the doors are supposed to be shut on the Sabbath, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then I contended with the nobles of Judah. I told the kings, I told the princes of Judah, and said unto them, What evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? I just, we just finished building the temple just a couple of chapters earlier. Did not your fathers the same thing? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us, upon this city, he scattered us? It's been 150 years, and you're over here starting your same tricks all over again? Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut. It's talking about casting a shadow against the gates. And charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. Some of my servants said I at the gates that they, there should be no burden. And he brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind were, were lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. And Nehemiah is one of the toughest men walking in the Bible. He says, I ain't going to put up with this. Israel, then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge you about the wall? If you do so again, I'll come out and lay hands on you. He don't mean I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to grab you by your beards. And he does that. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my Lord, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of my mercy. Lord, spare me. These people won't behave. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives that were Philistines of Ashdod. Who does Ashdod worship? Dagon, the fish god. You say, Jim, you're yelling. Boy, I just think of what they were doing. What is America doing? And of Ammon, where they worship Shemosh, the sun god, C-H-E-M-O-S-H. S-H-E-M-E-S-H is the word sun in the Hebrew. They were worshiping the sun. And that's why they were scattered. And this next verse is why you don't need to be doing this. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod. They stayed at home and taught them Shemash worship and Dagon worship and could not speak in the Jews' language. And the law was only written in Hebrew at this time. The Jews could not, the children could not understand the truth. The Bible says the man that flatters his neighbor the eyes of his children shall fail. Your kids won't be able to tell right from wrong when you don't live right. Have I been guilty of that? I'm ashamed of that. But according to the language of each people, all they could do is speak in the language of Ashdod and Ammon. Your kids won't... They can't tell the truth when you're not living in it. And I contended with them. I cursed them. I smote Nehemiah. I went down there and started punching them. I smote them. 
I plucked off their hair, made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God. God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, even him did these outlandish, strange, foreign women sin with their gods. Well, I want to please them. Read that 11th chapter of 1 Kings for yourself. That's why God split Israel. Just kept southern Judah and Benjamin in southern Israel. and says, just for that, you don't get the inheritance that goes to Ephraim. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God and marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sunballot, the man who tried to kill Nehemiah over and over again. So what? It's like I read this, I'm going, what is Israel thinking of? What's America thinking about? <laughs> and I chased him from me. Nehemiah was one bad dude. You didn't mess with God's law around Nehemiah. He's, I love him. He's one of the toughest guys in the Bible. He says, I'm not going to put up with this. It'd be like some guy going up here to the big Baptist church and start throwing people off the front steps. Who is that guy? Well, he said his name was Nehemiah and he wasn't going to put up with this. I guess not. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. It's so eye-opening. God, I pray for the church. You'll make them strong. I get so depressed sometimes, Lord, help me. And we're supposed to be because Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and so are we. We look at a world that just thumbs their nose at the commandments of God, just like, just like the Scripture's telling us here that Israel did. Help us, Lord, fight our battles and cause us to be strong in the truth. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I can't believe Israel. It had been, been, been heathens doing that, it wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah. And so we would have the truth. 
Huh? They couldn't do right if they wanted to. They couldn't. And they didn't want to because God fixed their wars. Is that why he says to strive and agonize? Agonize over this outer man. This outer man wants to go after the flesh. The outer man wants to go after self. Big clump over here.